The Tablet Show, Episode 14, with guest Kevin McNeish. Recorded live Thursday, December 22nd, 2011. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Kevin McNeish about building applications for iPhone and iPad using Objective-C. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome to The Tablet Show. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here for your tablet development pleasure What's up, Mr. Campbell? Ah, uh, you know, plunking along, new year, all is well. I love it. Yeah, it's the new year. Time to start a new time to think about what's coming down the road with Windows 8. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. I'm really looking forward to some kind of big touch, uh, screen computer, like a big touch smart or something that can mm-hmm. run Windows 8. Man, I just can't wait. Run it well. Well, and the beta is only a few more weeks away, I think. I mean, that's when things are really going to get crazy. You know, in some ways, I've the conversations really died down since September, since build. Yeah, you know, I don't know that I agree with Microsoft's sort of policy of going quiet here. It's confusing for folks, but boy, I expect real storm when the beta hits. So I had an interesting, I have an interesting space problem here. Uh, last night I was in the studio, and you know, I have a baby grand piano that has a MIDI implementation in it. Mm-hmm. I've seen you play that piano from across the ocean. That's right. I played it from Bulgaria. It's interesting. Well, anyway, the MIDI output isn't all that good on it. In other words, when I use the piano to um, send MIDI out and then record it with a sequencer, mm-hmm. it's not going out correctly. Like the timing is off and the velocity is is off. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, it does. But what I can do, though, is... Um, I can record something with a weighted keyboard, you know, or whatever, uh, just a weighted keyboard, record the MIDI with that, and then play it through the piano, and it responds to MIDI very accurately. So that's really the most important thing. But anyway, I'm I'm telling you this because I hooked my TouchSmart up to the piano last night, and I got a MIDI sequencer, and I was messing around with it, and this is how I found out. But the problem is the HP TouchSmart is so big. There's no good place to put it. If I put it like on the piano, then it's almost over my head hmm. when I'm sitting at the piano and trying to use it with touch, like to input input notes or move notes around or delete them or hit the play or record button or whatever. It's just too big. Right. So now I have to move it off to the side and sort of put it on a little stool down to the right but i'm just thinking it's too big i never thought a computer would be or a monitor would be too big for me nice this i mean i would point out that particular machine since i do have one has a hundred millimeter visa mount on the back of it yeah so you can get like a swing arm mount for it or something yeah be able to position it where you need to that would be a good idea Um, i'm just thinking that it's just a little bit too big so what i like microsoft is to get like an 18 inch or a 19-inch, not quite a 22, right? you know, something like that. And that's what I would use. And if that had a Visa mount on it, oh, boy, now we're talking. Yeah, now you can put it where you want. Yeah. All right, well, let's get started with Better Know Framework. Oh, yeah. Win RT Edition. 
And I can't remember if I talked about this before. I think I did. But um, reflection is a little bit different in WinRT yep. than in Silverlidar.net. How is it different? Well, uh, first of all, there's no accessing private members. Uh, well, we haven't wanted people to touch our private members for a while. <laughs> you can't touch your private members. Sorry. <laughs> you can't reach across an object boundary and touch the privates of another object. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, just, I remember being told that in high school, too, yeah, I think. You better not touch certain parts of your body. No. <laughs> or anybody else's, for that matter. <laughs> but what you can... And, and also... um. You know, system reflection has the type object, the type class, and every object has a get type method that returns this type object, right. and that's sort of where reflection starts for most people, because mm-hmm. it has you know the properties and the methods and get property and get method and get member and all that stuff. Well, there isn't all that stuff there now in the type object in WinRT. You have to use an extension method, which means you have to add a using statement using system reflection or in VBNet imports system reflection. Mm-hmm. And then uh, on the type, there's a get type info method that returns a system.reflection.type info object. And that type info object is where you can access all of the publicly accessible pieces of the interface of that type. All right. So there you go. It's a little bit different. Yep. And I know I might have talked about it before, but it still, you know, it's one of those little gems that we need to harp on a little bit right now. Well, and getting back to this idea that there are ways to do things. It's just slightly different rules. Slightly different. Yeah. All right. And that's it. That's all I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, I've grabbed an email that is a part of a large discussion I've had with a number of people dealing with our challenges around getting the tablet show into the Zoom marketplace and mm. getting people outside of the U.S. to be able to subscribe to it. Yes. Um, obviously, the whole situation is fairly daft. Yes, of course. For better or worse. Um, but two things that's come along, and, and i I got to make a call out to Nick Dowling, who uh, sent me a video actually showing how he did it with a different podcast in the BBC out of the U.K., although he's already got a mug, so thanks, Nick. And this other, what really made me want to finally talk about this was Stuart Quinn's email here, which I'll read in just a sec. Okay. But yes, obviously it is a problem for whatever reason. When we talk to the Zoom Marketplace people directly, they said, sorry, you can only publish podcasts for US, which was the most ridiculous answer we've ever heard ever. That's the dumbest thing in the world. The internet is And we normally put our Zoom links as per the Zoom Marketplace request to point to the website so that you can see the show and you could subscribe to it and it'll automatically appear on your devices. Yeah. Only works in the US. Great. And the way they make it work is really annoying in the sense that if you go to the website, if you use that link without being signed into Zoom Marketplace, it will show you the show. When you go to sign up, it will then ask you to enter your account and then the show will disappear because yeah. you now are, you're, you signed in with your Canadian account or your UK account or your Czechoslovakian account and boom, it goes away, which basically is a, you know, somebody really sat down and said, I want a user experience that really pisses people off. Here's a tip. Don't use interns for mission critical software. <laughs> but, uh, 
so one thing we figured out, and Nick helped me with this, was the different kind of link. So we're going to replace our Zune links with ones that instead of pointing to the web page, actually call directly to the Zune software. So the link will only work on the machine that has the Zune so software on it. And it pops a couple of whiny dialogues about, hey, you're calling into software from a web page. I hope you're okay with that. Mm. But that will actually take you straight to sign up for the tablet show, for .NET Rocks, for Run As Radio, for everything. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. But the other point, and Stuart Quinn lays this out very well in his email, and getting to the point here, it turns out it is possible to download podcasts directly to your Windows phone, even if you're outside the U.S., although some tethering is required. So you have to initially plug your phone into your PC to get this started, then you don't have to after this. Subscribe to the podcast on the Zune software on your PC using a direct feed link. So you can actually do the manual way where you copy and paste with the RSS or use the new Zune links we're going to put in. Get it synced to your phone so you've got that podcast clearly on your phone. Then when you go into your Windows phone, you can navigate to the podcast section, pick that particular title, right? You don't want to actually play the playback. You just want to see it. Yeah. And at the bottom on your WinPhone 7 will be a subscribe button. And when you subscribe, now you'll get it. Uh, downloaded directly to your phone. That is and, the dumbest process I've ever heard in yes. my life. And Stuart goes on to say, unfortunately, you can still only download when attached to Wi-Fi. So what? if you're walking home and fancy listening to an episode of the tablet show, you're out of luck. So I'm sorry. What? Where is the internet in all of this? Yeah. Actually, that's what I want to know. Well, I so don't understand what? why we don't have the cellular. We, you know, it's up to me and my carrier how I have data access. Like, what? What are you doing to me? So isn't it just easier if on a Windows phone you go to thetabletshow.com and just click on the play button and have it stream to your phone? You can absolutely do that. What's the big deal then? Right. I mean, the, the whole here, idea here is I want to subscribe. Yeah. And I want no, to subscribe I get it. with my phone. I, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Stuart makes the best point of them all. And I hope Microsoft is listening. Although I appreciate that Microsoft. He's trying to make our lives simpler for the average user by taking away some options, having to jump through all of these hoops to download a podcast as simply as easy as I could have done on my Nokia N95 mm -hmm. five years ago Yep, is a little frustrating. Just a little bit. This is unnecessarily hard, kids. You know? What, what we want to have happen is that that web link should work. You say subscribe to this with this account, and it just flipping appears on the phone. That's what Anything we Anything else is a waste of time. Like Amazon cracked this nut with the Kindle a while ago. It just works. Yes. So, on meantime, we're doing our best to try and find ways to make it all work for you. We want you to listen to the show. We'll try and make it less difficult. And for Stuart's efforts... A uh, tablet show mug is on its way to the UK for you. So thank you, Stuart, so much for your summary. And I want to make another call out to Nick, who I've been interacting with for a while. We've got those links worked out, Nick. Thanks for that. You already got a mug, so neener, neener to you. <laughs> and uh, if you can help us make the tablet show better, if you've got ideas, if you want to comment on anything, uh, we haven't got comments on the website yet like we have at .NET Rocks, but you can send us an email, .NET Rocks at franklins.net. If we read your email on the show, we will send you one of the rare, one of the precious, I don't even have one, tablet show mugs. We'll send it to you, not sell it to you. We'll send it to you. You can yes. buy them, too. They're in the store. But you if can. you want a free one, we have a way. And they're in the .NET Rocks store, by the way. There you go. Yeah. Which we weeded out recently. We took all of the old blue logo stuff off it. I really like my blue logo bug, but it's only me, I think. Yeah, it's just not de not easy to read from three feet away. you got to yeah. sort of look at it, and who does that anyway? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, anyway, let's uh, introduce our old friend and our good friend, Kevin McNish. He was on uh, .NET Rock Show 2. No, I don't know. It was it was a very early one, though. Um, definitely before 20. Uh, Kevin McNish is president and chief software architect of Oak Leaf Enterprises, Incorporated, and an eight-time recipient of the Microsoft.NET MVP Award. He is a well-known .NET and iOS speaker and trainer throughout North America and Europe. He's also author of several books, including the upcoming book, iPhone and iPad Development for Everyone. He is the chief software architect of the MM.NET application framework, as well as the upcoming MIOS framework. That's M-M-I, little I-O-S, framework. Welcome back, Kevin. Thank you. Great to be back. I think last time I was here, you guys recorded this on uh, eight-track cassettes. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we, the technology uh, moves on. Yeah, no, the very first .NET Rock show was recorded on a 78 burner. So mm, Nice. Yeah. The needle actually Excellent. etching into the wax. Believe it or not, I have a 78 maker in the you studio really? here. Yeah, my I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I went to my uncle's house, and he had this old Philco radio. That's like a wood cabinet from 1944, and he bought it from somebody in Poughkeepsie, New York in the 60s, I guess, when he was in the Navy, and uh, it's got a 78 burner in it. It has a 78 player, but there's two arms. There's one on the left and one on the right, and the big one is for burning 78 records. Or cutting, anyway. Yeah, that's what I mean, cutting. Burning is CD. Yeah, that's right. No I'm lasers. Sorry. It's for cutting 78 records. And apparently it had a little microphone that went with it that looked like, you know, the, the classic, you know, 1940 uh, silver bullet microphone that everybody would stand around on radio shows and, and talk into. So, but I don't have that. Anyway, so much for that little tangent. Kevin, you were one of the very first guests on .NET Rocks way low this many years ago talking about the benefits of the .NET framework and your framework, your application framework. What's what's the state of that, by the way? Uh, still going great. Um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty right now with Microsoft. And when it comes to people starting new projects, they're like, uh, you know, maybe we should wait a bit, see what happens with the dust settles, uh, uh, Silverlight alive or dead or not. Yeah. But uh, oddly enough, we still get people who, Starting a brand new project, they're just going to go full force with WPF or Silverlight, come what may. Right. Well, because there's lots of folks out there. It's like, no, you have to build this project. Like, you figure the technology out. You've got to get this thing done. And it's not like anything's actually going away. No. It's just evolving. Right. Yeah. It's it's what's hot, you know. But But if you think about it, I mean, the kind of stuff that they're doing on the iPhone and the iPad now is they're crawling compared to what we have in the .NET framework for Windows Forms, you know, besides touch. I'm just saying, I went back and did a Windows Forms application and just looking at the vast array of controls that are available and out, right out of the box, it's just stunning. And, you know, the 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 more cutting edge we get, the, the shorter that list is. Kevin, you come from the .NET world. What drove you to iOS? Cha-ching! Well... Well, uh, there's something to be said for that. Uh, and honestly, I love computer languages and love new platforms. Uh, I've done just about everything in sight, uh, starting with assembly language programming years ago. Yeah. 
And uh, this was another great platform. I had these devices and I thought, well, shoot, I'd like to learn this because I think it's going to be something. And uh, eventually uh, we had a lot of our customers who have these devices themselves. They want to be able to use them with their business apps. So uh, we have an unending list of customers who want us to do iOS apps for them yeah. uh, to work in conjunction with their existing Microsoft apps. Are there apps you can tell us about that make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm presuming talking about iPad versus iPhone. You know, it's really both. Uh, it tends to be more iPad just because of the sheer real estate. Right. But it depends what you want to do. Um, we are working with one company who uh, writes software for the dental industry. Mm-hmm. And when the dentist is not in their office, uh, they want to be able to look up information about their uh, different clients, uh, prescriptions, those sorts of things, and be able to have the information sent back. The device they're carrying with them is an iPhone right? Uh, in this particular case, and so they want it to be able to work with that. And you know, that said, we're also going into the Android space because uh, that's a very strong sector there too. Now, are you, are you making custom apps in Android or are you building commercial apps for sale in the store? Um, we do both. Um, we have our own ideas. And, you know, these days, in order to make real money in the app stores, uh, you have to have something that goes viral. Yeah. And uh, you just don't know what that's going to be. But, uh, you know, the great thing about it is um, once you've climbed the curve for building these apps, uh, it's very gratifying because you can build an app in a couple weeks. Yeah. You know, compared to a couple years with a desktop app. Yeah. And you can try out a number of ideas and see what flies. So what kinds of things have you put in the App Store? Um, our most popular was an app for U.S. elections. And I temporarily removed it from the store as we updated for the 2012 election uh, cycle. But uh, in that app, uh, you can, based on your zip code, it will even figure out what your zip code is if you don't know it based on where you're standing. Ah. Um, <laughs> but then it will tell you, where you go to vote, um, are you registered to vote, Yeah. Uh, who are your candidates, what are the ballot proposals, no those kidding. sorts of things. Wow. So it was our kind of idea uh, back in 2010. Does it show their voting record? Uh, yes. Great. And uh, something we're adding in this cycle, too, is where they're getting their money from. Oh, wow. What a great idea. What a great idea. And is that available for all iPhones, iPads, and Android? Um, it will be. Uh, right now, it's iPhone and iPad, and we're moving to Android with it. What's the name of it? iElection Day. Awesome. That's great. It was kind of groovy because the uh, week it came out, it was voted iPad App of the Week. Wow. So we got a lot of uh, love from that. Oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, honestly, it was, just, it was just an absolute blast to create. Generally speaking, I mean, at least on this show, the conversation has been about the difficulty of building software in uh, in Objective C and Cocoa and so forth. Can you sort of talk to the experience? Yeah, it you know, there's a learning curve just like everything. Uh, honestly, I prefer to use the native tools. Um, when it comes to building these apps, you're going to spend hours and hours. The majority of time you're going to be spending is scouring the internet for code samples. And for using something other than the native language, that makes it very difficult. Uh, the number of C-sharp examples for doing something on the iOS platform are uh, 1% of the total that are out there. Yeah. 
Um, so you're going to have to learn Objective C to figure some of this stuff out. Right. So uh, for me, I just like to use the tools uh, rather than use uh, you know third party experience. But you know we're also getting extra love too by doing a mix of native with HTML5 wherever that's possible. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. Now, you um, are writing this book trying to teach iOS programming to non-developers. Now, when you say non-developers, do you mean non-computer people or do you mean power users or do you mean somebody who has an interest in programming but not no experience? What is the target market of this and, and how are you going to pull that off? Well, the target market really is for people who haven't ever written code before. Maybe have written very little. Maybe they took a class in college. Um, but the tools actually with Xcode and uh, the language enhancements at this point are at a state where you can take someone who is at least technically savvy and uh, even if they've not written any code, teach them how to write iOS apps. Uh, for example, I taught a class in Maui in October, and we had a native Hawaiian woman there, Mohalapua. Oh, there's my shout out. Kind of rolls off the tongue. That's right. <laughs> Sounds Hawaiian, too. Yeah. Beautiful name. So uh, she'd never written code before. So uh, by the end of the class, uh, she had kept up with everybody else. It's really just a matter of how you present the information in a way that someone who's uh, technically savvy, uh, but maybe doesn't really know the programming uh, terminology or concepts, uh, you can teach them that. Ultimately, I think about 50% of the population can write code. Uh, there's another 50% who may never be able to. Uh, but really, I'm addressing the book to those who at least have a propensity for being able to write apps. And I really want to dig into some of these apps because just this idea of tablets in the business workspace, like the, I think the example you've given there with the, the dentist being able to look that up works in almost any form factor. In fact, I would think it makes sense as a web-based app. It's pretty simple, you know, straightforward kind of thing. You could make an HTML5 app that would do that, I think, fairly well. I, I'm really curious as to, you know, the challenges of building software in iOS that is sophisticated enough that it really takes advantage of the tablet and brings something new to the table. I, I don't know if you've got a particular project you can talk to us about, but that, to me, is really interesting. Yeah, you know, depending on the nature of the app, too. I mean, uh, if you 
are contacting your clients, you're going to want a phone. So um, in that case, when you're integrating with a phone, it's not going to work on a tablet. Whereas there are other aspects that will, if you're looking at x-rays, uh, you want that in a bigger form factor. Um, you know, you're just getting more real estate on an iPad app than you would be getting on an iPhone. And realistically, the majority of the business apps we're creating are really for the iPad. Um, it just makes so much sense uh, based on their form factor. So what kind of app? Can you describe one? Um, we created one app where it would allow people to it basically replace the time clock. So uh, there's a company that uh, writes time clock software, mm -hmm. and they have people punch in. So uh, we made an iPad version of that because they normally have hardware that they buy that's actually quite expensive, much more yeah. than an iPad. So with this, we actually had the graphics uh, set up in such a way that people could punch in. They could hang an iPad on the wall if they wanted to. Um, or they might have other people who want to be able to uh, clock in and not do it on that particular machine. Uh, they could do it on their own iPad if they wanted to. So part of what we did is add GPS capabilities. So whenever they punch in, you know exactly where they are. So right. if they're sitting at the Dunkin' Donuts having a cup of coffee and they punch in, uh, that's a problem. Um, but basically, uh, they could punch in uh, even when there was no internet access and we added the capabilities into the uh, app so that once the internet was back up again, uh, it would take whatever it stored in that local database and would put it up through uh, web services. And again, this is a company that's a Microsoft company, right? Hmm. They're a Microsoft shop. Uh, they built all of their um, web services uh, using Microsoft technology. And they decided they really liked the iPad. In fact, uh, as a Christmas present, they bought an iPad for all their employees. Wow, uh, wow. nice. Because uh, they really liked the tablets and they felt this was a, a great wave of the future and wanted everyone to start getting used to that idea. So that was a, that was a fun app to create. Um, you know, lots of different, anytime you do a location, people are always wowed by that. If you can show me where I am on a map or tell me my zip code based on where I'm standing right now, uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, people get excited about that. Although, yeah. I mean, it doesn't work indoors, right? Once they're, once they're the sort of step inside the building, it kind of ends. As far as being able to tell where they are, yeah, you can't tell them what room they are in the building. You know, if they, if well, I imagine they they come in through an underground parking lot, as soon as they go in the underground parking lot, there's no more GPS there. Sure, yeah, uh, and that depends on the building too, obviously. Right. But uh, great story. My wife actually left her iPhone in the U.S. Airways Club in uh, Philadelphia, and uh, we did the "Where's my iPhone." And uh, we were able to tell them where in the club this phone was. Nice. It was actually uh, that accurate. They kept saying, we don't see it. We don't see it. I said, I'm telling you, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> so I actually sent a beeping noise to the iPhone and they could hear it. It had actually gotten stuck down between the cushions of one of the uh, chairs there. That is awesome. Wow. What a story. I got a story like that. I left my iPad on a plane. <laughs> Ouch, baby. Yeah. <laughs> And then when I said I I filed a complaint, they said, uh, "I'm sorry. What was was that an iPad? Where what row was that in?" Chick, 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 chick. Oh no, sorry. I'm nobody's ever seen that one. <laughs> Nobody saw that. Nope. <laughs> hey, it's in row forty-two. Go get it. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, we didn't find it. Yeah. Because there's oh, no boy. security cameras on planes, see? So what you got to do is if you do leave your device on a plane, you got to say, it was something very special to me. Don't tell them what it right. is. Yeah. You know, something else that's uh, been a lot of fun, too, is there's now new iCloud capabilities uh, that are part of the SDK. So um, we went full Apple with a lot of the stuff that we've got. Our kids have iPads and we have iPhones and we've got the Apple TV and, you know, Apple rewards uh, you when you keep in the family. Uh, but it's interesting to see, you know, from a consumer perspective, the whole cloud. And uh, Apple's really done a pretty good job with it. Uh, they've made it pretty easy um, so that we set my daughter up uh, with her phone and her pictures and her. She's got a MacBook Pro. And now whenever she takes a picture, it automatically appears on uh, her computer. Uh, whenever she buys a song in one place, it appears on the other. And it, it just works. And, uh, you know, their first foray into the cloud was Mobile Me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Steve Jobs berated those people, fired the guy in front of the entire company, <laughs> and replaced him with somebody else because it was so bad. Um, and we went through that whole Mobile Me. Um, I'm still in counseling. but uh, <laughs> Well, tell us about that for those who don't know it. It just didn't work. Uh, yeah. Mobile Me was supposed to do everything that iCloud does. In fact, Steve Jobs got all these Mobile Me people in there and says, "You tell me what Mobile Me is supposed to do." And they rattled everything off. And he goes, "Well, why the hell doesn't it?" And and what was it supposed to do? Uh, basically, you were able to store files, uh, put them up, put them down. There was basically an iDisk. You could act like it was just one other disk attached to your computer. And it just didn't work. I mean, if it was, a, it was a file more than a few hundred K, it would just sit there forever and just not do anything. Uh, it just would crash, give you no meaningful messages. It was horrific. It just didn't work. Right. So they really had a bomb with that one. But iCloud is a completely different experience. And uh, now you can actually add iCloud features to your iOS apps. And... Uh, People like that kind of magic where, you know, they add a client at the office and all of a sudden automatically appears on the device some other place. Yeah, that is magic. Hello, I mean, that particular scenario doesn't need the cloud as long as you're reporting back to a central server and all the devices also get that. They should be able to keep in sync that way. Right. And it's just a higher level API for all of this. Uh, It just makes it easier to do it. Right. And... uh, uh, so part of iCloud is a good API for synchronization? Yes, it is. Um, and again, you're working with a higher level API work, rather than working with low level um, communication protocols. And uh, it just works well. Now, the other thing uh, you'd asked about teaching people who weren't developers how to write code. Right. Uh, in October, Apple released their latest version of Xcode. Uh, which is 4.2 now. And uh, this is actually a fantastic prototyping tool uh, in ways that previous versions were not. Uh, It's readily apparent that Apple has been stealing generously from Microsoft. Ah. And uh, Xcode used to just be abysmal. 
Right. Now it's actually pretty darn good. Wow. And uh, in some ways, it has uh, it, it surpasses Visual Studio. Now, I work a lot in each one all day long. I've got a MacBook Pro with Windows 7 on it, Mac OS X. Uh, part of the day, I'm in Xcode. Part of the day, I'm in Visual Studio. But when it comes to uh, the ease of setting things up, and, and they're really good at UI. Um, if Apple's good at anything, they're good at user interface. Yeah. And so when you drag a text box and you drop it on uh, a view, uh, you can do ev- everything you can imagine just by setting simple properties. Nice. Uh, some of the anything that's a standard behavior in one of the built-in iPhone apps is a simple setting of a property. It's wow. a piece of cake. But what they've added here uh, is this uh, concept called a storyboard. Um, which really makes it easier for uh, people to get in on the platform. And basically the storyboard, you know, with a uh, iOS app, uh, you have one view, you touch something, it slides out of the way, the next view comes in, you touch it, it might flip around horizontally or vertically or things slide in and out. But now basically you drop these different views on a storyboard, you draw lines between them. And you can visually see the entire flow of your app and in one place. Nice. And in addition to that, uh, you don't have to plug data in. You can create uh, prototyping. Uh, so you can have uh, different things, uh, maybe some hard-coded data. And we do this for prototyping all the time. You know as well as I do that your client doesn't really know what they like till you give it to them. Right. So um, we did a prototype for one client and probably about within half an hour, 45 minutes, I had most of the app done. Now the, the data was static, but they could see how everything looked, how it felt, uh, how things moved flowing from one to another. And I wrote zero code. I just wow. did drag and dropping and just typed in information into the cells for the table views. Yeah. And, like you said, that's storyboarding. You built the storyboard of the app that they could feel on the device itself. That's brilliant. So right. what, what version of Xcode is this that you're talking about? Uh, Xcode 4.2. Very cool. Yeah. So what's, what's nice about this, too, is uh, my client can then take the, his, the prototype I'm giving him, and he can show it to his clients. So, uh, you know, it goes on down the line, and it's a great way to get feedback before you even write a line of code. And then the code is really just wiring it up to the data stores? That's right. Uh, you keep everything that you laid out UI-wise. Uh, all the flow is still there. Everything's in the storyboard, the connectors, what they call segues between one view and another. And uh, now you're just wiring up data. And uh, what's nice about this is uh, they're actually using something very similar to the entity framework. Uh, hmm. they, call, they call it core data. So rather than working with low-level database calls, you're working with higher-level business entities. And uh, it does all the creation of the tables behind the scenes uh, for SQLite database. And you're just working with business entities. You're retrieving them. You're saving them. In fact, somebody stole from somebody because the objects are named the same. Really? Oh, wow. There's even an object context. And and it works very similar to uh, entity framework. So wow. it's kind of nice for Microsoft developers if you're familiar with the entity framework world. It's a it's an easy in to check out uh, core data with these business entities on the iOS platform. And Xcode is still free, right? It is. 
um, they were, there was a point where they were charging $4.99, which is more, I did, I really don't understand that because <laughs> yeah, the cost of the transaction, right? Charge me $500 or don't charge me anything. Uh, you know, four ninety nine, $4.99 is just cute. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just, um, just kind of annoying really. Yeah. Um, what about the publication process when it comes to these business apps? Do you just install it directly on the device or do you have to go through the app store? What happens there now? Well, you are allowed to uh, have certain devices that you are using for development. Right. And so when we're doing prototyping, um, we attach the device to, uh, you can actually do it wirelessly now, or you can just attach it directly to your computer and you will actually put the app on that device. And uh, you can do that for dozens of devices. Uh, and that's specifically for the purpose of you've got a new version. You've got people who are beta. You don't want to put it in the app store and have anyone else download it. Right. So they have that set up. But once you are ready to sell, uh, you're going through the app store if you're writing a native app. Wow, that sounds great, man. So it seems like, uh, seems like Visual Studio developers uh, shouldn't be so scared after all. No, and the majority of people I teach uh, tend to be Microsoft developers. Um, Isn't that funny? Yeah, I did the boot camp for uh, mobile connections right. uh, at, the Bellagio, at the Bellagio earlier this year in April. And, and I had about 25 developers there, and 23 of them were Microsoft developers. Wow. So I constantly drew the comparison between .NET and right. Uh, code and ios well i actually think you know this is the kind of thing that we need to hear as net developers i mean you know the lure of the lure of uh the benefits of writing for these platforms has always been there but you know taking the plunge just requires that you know learning curve although like you said that the app store is kind of saturated it's a challenge now to actually market an app well when there's six hundred thousand others in there right uh, and your key to happiness there is use some of the new features that Apple has just released. Mm -hmm. And uh, they will often highlight apps. And uh, the chances are much better that your app will be just highlighted for free by Apple just because they always want people to move to the next version of iOS. And if your app only works with that new version, <laughs> then they love you to death. Ah. But uh, still, it, it's still easier to shine in the iPad space versus the iPhone. There's still much fewer iPad, true iPad apps, not something that just is bigger running on the iPad. Right. But the, the other thing that they've just done back in October that completely made it possible for non-programmers to work with this is they changed memory management. Uh, you may have heard the horror stories with Objective-C where you had to write your own retain and release code. You were well, doing reference counting. Well, yeah. Uh, no more. Really? Uh, starting with uh, the version they released in October and backward compatible from version 5 to version 4 of iOS, uh, they will actually infer the reference counting and do it for you. Wow. So uh, gone are the days where you release and retain. And because uh, that was a major pain in the neck. You know, I'm teaching people how to work with Objective-C. We're spending a heavy amount of time 
on memory management. But with this new feature, and, and I think it, in many ways it can be better than a garbage collector because uh, this is actually really retain and release in code. There is no garbage collector that's running. There's no pause as you know objects are released from memory and they're right. released immediately. Right. So it's kind of a nice uh, middle ground between garbage collection and doing it manually. Hmm. And uh, it really works great. Because uh, really, the biggest problems with iOS apps before they release this version in October is memory. Uh, right. It's just hard to do, and you had to be perfect, super careful. How's the socket support in uh, iOS as compared to .NET? Uh, I th- the socket support's really better uh, in .NET. Um, you know, and, and when it comes to even networking with uh, different services, uh, honestly the uh, support for non-Microsoft services is much stronger than services for some WCF or Microsoft web services. Uh, in fact, um, that's why you know, we've created a bit of a framework for uh, iOS, the MMIOS you mentioned earlier. Right. And we created classes that work well with Microsoft web services. That's what most of our customers are using. So we had to do something like that. But, you know, it wasn't rocket science. It probably took me a day to really get it all down pat. And it's just what we use now when we talk to a, a Microsoft service. So do you think a lot of developers are using sockets for default communication on iOS? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm not really sure what a lot of other folks are doing. But there's also some great third-party tools that are actually free um, that do a lot of the heavy lifting for you uh, where there's uh, weaker support in iOS. Yeah, it's also interesting to see too where uh, they're moving in opposite directions. Um, you know, I talk a lot about Expression Blend and Visual Studio, and uh, a lot of developers don't like that. Uh, they really wish there was one tool. I hear it constantly when I'm talking about WPF or Silverlight. Yeah, and uh, Apple used to be that way. They had two different tools. They had Xcode and they had Interface Builder, very much like Visual Studio and Expression Blend. You write code in one. You create the user interface in the other. But Apple's gone the opposite direction. Rather than two separate products now, they've integrated the interface builder into Visual Studio the way it yeah. used to be with Windows Forms. Into Xcode. Right. Yeah. So uh, people will like it or not for different reasons, but it's interesting to see uh, two companies go in different directions. Do you, do you use... Um... Uh, virtualization to run iOS, is that even possible? Can you run OS X, I guess, for development in a virtual machine on Windows? You can. Um, every class I teach, I've at least got one or two developers with a Windows machine that's running OS X, and it works. Hmm. Um, it, it can be a little fragile. Uh, if they come up with a new version of Xcode, there might be some tweaking to do. Right. Uh, but it works. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know. Now you don't have to carry around two laptops. Right. Right. Kevin, this is great stuff. Um, You'll have to come back often and keep us abreast of what's going on in this world. Yeah, I'd love to do, you know, when you get a great project, you tell us all about it. I'd love to do more. Here's an example of an iPad app stories, just because folks are really struggling for what to build for the tablets. But I think that's a whole other show we could do. Sure. Yeah, we've got a lot of different projects that we're working on. And you're right, some I can talk about, some I can't. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. It's been great talking to you. 
Thank you, Carl and Richard. All right, Kevin McNish. And we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. Only one